The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining the life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Brent. I'm one of the elders here at ACF Church. <sighs> well, we are in the midst of a series called The Struggle. Last week, Pastor Brian led us in talking about authenticity. My favorite quote from last week, living by what you believe instead of what you feel isn't hypocrisy, it's integrity. This week, we're going to talk about compassion. Anyone have compassion for Flick stuck to the flagpole? Oh my goodness, that clip just gets me. So let me ask you this. That's an example of something called bystander apathy or the bystander effect. Has anyone here been a victim of the bystander effect where you needed help and there's lots of people around you and nobody stopped to help? Anyone? Let's turn it around. Have you ever been on the other side of that where you saw someone in need and there's lots of people around and you didn't stop to help? Raise your hand if you've been on the other side. A few more hands. Yeah. Most of the time, the bystander effect, bystander apathy, is not something that we want to laugh at. A passage that we were, we we're going to be referencing um, throughout this series is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The bar is high, and if we're honest with ourselves, most of us have a long ways to go in becoming the people that God wants us to be. Let's start our talk about compassion with a definition. Compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. So we see that compassion is both an emotion, a feeling, and an action. In our struggle to have compassion, we sometimes use the phrase, I don't really care. There's a technical term that has been developed over the last few years that more succinctly defines this. It's a phrase that was potentially developed uh, from the Yiddish language, but it has been made more popular uh, in the 1990s. Uh, a couple, a duo, Bart and Lisa Simpson made this term popular. The term is meh, M-E-H, meh, okay? Um, we've probably used this before on a number of occasions. Um, your savings account paid you three cents of interest in the last year. Meh. In the next week, we could get up to an inch of snow. Nah. If you use this coupon and you buy two drinks that you don't really want, you save 5% off your next purchase. Nah. 
it's easy for us to get jaded. It's easy for us to have a lack of compassion for those around us. Raise your hand if you think you have the right amount of compassion. If you think, yeah, I've got enough compassion. Don't see a whole lot of hands, maybe one or two. I don't expect today that we're going to change all of that, but hopefully we can take a step or two in the direction of being the people that God intended us to be. Let's pray, and then we're going to open our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Father, I pray that as we delve into your word and look at compassion, Lord, would you give us open hearts to hear and to respond to you appropriately? Lord, help us to have an honest assessment of ourselves and to see the broader vision of the people you created us to be. We give you this time, and we ask you to change us as a result of it. Lord, would you give me the words to say to your church today? Amen. Of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel of Mark is the shortest. Okay? You may have heard that Matthew was primarily written for Jews and that Luke was primarily written for a Gentile audience. Well, let me tell you, from my perspective, the Gospel of Mark, I think it's written for people who have ADD. Okay? It is the shortest gospel. It is, there's rapid fire things that happen. Bam, 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 bam. There's uh, frequent cuts from one scene to another. And the phrase or the word immediately is used 35 times in the ESV version of Mark. Immediately, immediately, immediately. In chapter 1, verses 9 to 18, just 10 verses, the following events take place. Jesus comes into Nazareth. He gets baptized by John in the Jordan River. The heavens open and God's spirit descends on Jesus. A voice from God, the Father says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Then immediately, there's that word, the spirit of God drives Jesus into the wilderness where he's unsuccessfully tempted by Satan. And there's wild animals around Jesus and angels minister to him. Then John the Baptist is arrested. Jesus comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel saying, the time is filled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Then Jesus sees two brothers, Simon and Andrew, fishing and he tells them to follow him and become fishers of men. Immediately, they leave their nets and they follow Jesus. That is a lot of stuff to happen in less than a page of text. When you read Mark's gospel, it's like you need a five-point harness, okay? So let's strap ourselves in and look at some of the ways that Jesus demonstrated compassion in Mark's gospel. Let's start with Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Imagine if this took place today, okay? You're in your life group, okay? You're in the living room with 50 other people. Some of you go to this life group. There's 
an additional 20 people stacked going up the stairs to the second level. There's a babysitter along with like 30 children downstairs doing who knows what form of demolition down there. It's gotten to the point where people come to Life Group, they bring money for the babysitter and a Home Depot gift card for the homeowner, hoping to kind of offset the expenses and so forth. You're in there, you're studying God's word together. And then you look out the window and you see this construction van pull up. And these four guys hop out of it and they open the doors and there's this they get this guy out of the back on a makeshift stretcher. They, you see him walking up toward the door. They've heard that this is where the Christians are, and they want you to pray for him. They get to the door, but they try to open it, but they can't open it because there's this mountain of shoes and gloves and coats and car seats and casserole dishes all stacked up by the door. So they do the next thing that they can do. They go back to the van. They get the, the ladder off the roof. They stack it up against the side of the house. They get some tools. The next thing you hear is going upstairs through a window. And then you hear the unmistakable sound of a reciprocating saw cutting through the ceiling above you. There's drywall dust everywhere, and it's just a cacophony of sound. Before you know it, they've cut a bathtub-sized hole in the ceiling, and they lower their friend down to the floor and then you see a head peek out of the hole saying, this is our friend. He's paralyzed. You need to pray for him. What do you do? Let's see what Jesus does. Verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes get upset because He's claiming to forgive sins, and only God can do that. So Jesus says to them, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man, a term Jesus uses to refer to himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus' compassion moves him to care more about people than personal property. Let's look at another account of Jesus' compassion. Mark 6, 34. Jesus and his disciples are in need of rest after a heavy season of ministry. But, verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He sees people who are hungry to learn about God, but they're clueless. They don't know how to start, so he has compassion on them, and he teaches them. And when it got late, rather than sending them away, he found a handful of loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and he fed 5,000 people with it. And they had leftovers. Imagine that we are out in the middle of nowhere here in Alaska. Okay, We're on foot. There's 5,000 of us together, and we're here to hear Pastor Brian, teach us the word of God. And we're like so into it and stuff. And we're listening to him. But 
it's getting harder and harder to hear what he's saying because our stomachs are grumbling, they're growling, they're making such noise. Stuart comes up and says, Ryan, hey, we need to send the people home. They're getting hungry. Ryan's like, no, no, I got this covered. Go and get some food, come back. We're going to feed them. So Stuart and Josh, they go and they, they round up as much food. A couple minutes later, they come back and they say, Ryan, bad news. All we could find is a handful of dinner rolls and a can of tuna. Ryan's like, okay. Takes it, lifts it up to God, blesses it, hands it to the First Impressions team. They take it, they distribute it to all 5,000 of us. And then we eat. And we eat. And we eat until we're satisfied. And then they collect all the leftovers. And it's enough to fill a Costco cart. Okay, it's a lot of food left over. This is essentially what happened. So, just out of curiosity, I did some investigation as to how much it would cost to feed 5,000 people today, give or take $87,000. But you do get coleslaw with that. So, I wish I had time to tell you some of the other things that Mark's gospel tells us about Jesus' compassion. If I had more time, I'd tell you in detail about the leper that Jesus touches and heals, breaking through the fear that surrounds this dreaded disease. I tell you about Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath and how he healed a man who had a withered hand because it's the right thing to do, even though it makes religious people want to destroy him. I tell you about a violent man who is filled with demons. He's out of control. They try chaining him, shackling him, but he keeps breaking the chains. And then, after a few minutes with Jesus, he's in his right mind. He's able to become a productive member of society. Meanwhile, nearby, a herd of 2,000 pigs goes running into the sea and drowns. I tell you about a group of people who want to kill Jesus. One of them has a daughter who is sick, very sick. And this man turns to Jesus in desperation. And Jesus goes with this man to his house. By the time they get there, this man's daughter has died. But Jesus, in his compassion, raises back to life the daughter of his enemy. I tell you about a woman who for 12 years kept bleeding. They'd done everything medically possible, but to no avail. One day, she sees Jesus, and she manages to take healing from him without even asking for it. I'd love to tell you about Jesus' response to her. I wish I had time to tell you about all these things, but I can tell you this. Jesus has compassion on those needing guidance and on those who are hungry, on those who are sick and on those who are in bondage to evil. He has compassion on those who were below him in society and on those who have nothing to offer him. He has compassion on those who politely address him and he has compassion on those who rip a hole in his roof in order to get to him. He has compassion even when it's frowned upon, even when people make fun of him. He has compassion when it makes people want to destroy him. And he has compassion that takes him to places that few self-respecting people would go to. And ultimately, the compassion of Jesus takes him to a place where he gives his life on our behalf for our sake. Let me tell you 
Jesus' compassion is radical. So, Jesus is compassionate. So what? What does that have to do with me? Let me read something to you. 1 John 2, 5 and 6 in the Amplified Version says, By this we know for certain that we are in him. Whoever says he lives in Christ, that is, whoever says he has accepted him as God and Savior, ought as a moral obligation to walk and conduct himself just as he walked and conducted himself. In other words, if we are recipients of God's grace through Jesus Christ, we ought to live like he lived. We ought to be like him. God's plan for us is to be conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus and increase in love for each other. We're supposed to have the same attitude that Jesus has. He was full of compassion. And our job is to follow him. So how are you doing? Are you following him with compassion? This morning I have a, a test that I want us to take. It comes out of this book called Forgive to Live, How Forgiveness Can Save Your Life by Dr. Dick Tibbetts. And if you look in your sheet here, you'll see that there are, there's something called an anger test. And go ahead and pull that out right now. If you don't have one, don't worry about it. You can just take a blank sheet of paper and write 1 to 12 on it. Or if you don't have a sheet of paper, you can write 1 to 12 on your hand. That's okay. Okay? We're going to walk through this, and I'm going to give you 12 statements. And I want you to answer whether A is more likely to describe how you would respond or whether you are more likely to respond with B. Okay, so I want you to write it down, A or B. This is not how you think you should respond, but how you typically do respond. And I'll ask you in advance, if you think that it needs a C option, if you're frustrated, you're like, it's not A, it's not B, there should be a C option. Write down A, okay? All right, so question number one. When you go through an express checkout lane in a grocery store, you A, count the number of items in the carts in front of you, or B, think about what you will have for dinner. Go ahead and write it down. Number one, A, when you're at a grocery store, express lane, you, what do you do? Do you A, count the number of items in the carts in front of you, or B, think about what you will have for dinner, okay? Number two, when you're driving and someone pulls right in front of you, nearly forcing you off the road, you A, Get on the horn and give that idiot driver a piece of your mind, or B, are thankful that you gave yourself enough time so that you do not have to drive like that person. I'm sure that's not nervous laughter there. Number three, when you accidentally stub your big toe, you A, kick the object with your other good foot, or B, remind yourself to pay more attention to where you are walking. Okay, write it down. Number four, when you see people you don't like, do you A, think of all the bad things each of them has done to you, or B, remind yourself that they have their own struggles? Okay, number five, you are more inclined to think about A, people who have hurt you, or B, people who have helped you. Number six, 
When waiting for an elevator, you A, count how long it waits on each floor and wish people would hurry, or B, talk to the person next to you until the elevator arrives. Number seven, when you make a bad shot on the fairway, you A, throw your golf club down on the ground, or B, analyze your swing to correct any errors. If you don't play golf, insert any other sport or computer game. Number eight, when someone doesn't arrive on time, you A, think of how inconsiderate that person was to keep you waiting, or B, hope nothing bad happened to cause the delay. Number nine, when somebody makes a joke at your expense, you A, fire back a put-down of your own, or B, laugh at the humor. Number 10, when you see a scratch on the side of your car, you A, scratch the car next to you, <laughs> or B, stop by a store to purchase touch-up paint. Number 11, when you get angry, you A, throw things, or B, talk about it. Number 12, you most often see your parents as A, dysfunctional, or B, human. You most often see your parents as A, dysfunctional, or B, human. Now, count the number of A's you marked, okay? Tally up just the A's. Look up when you're done. Okay, here's what the results indicate, and we're going to be brave and we're going to raise our hands, okay? If you marked three or fewer A's, you do well with your anger. Raise your hand if that's you. Wow, okay. Okay, if you marked no A's, you may be in denial about your feelings. Anyone? Okay. If you marked between four and seven A's, beware that you will have difficulties with anger on occasion, and you should pay careful attention to your moods. Raise your hand if this is you. Okay, a lot of hands on this one. Okay. If you marked eight or more A's, come on. If you marked eight or more A's, you have a problem with anger. I took this test a couple of weeks ago, and I scored a three. And then I showed my wife the results. And she was helpful enough to help me reevaluate my results and went item by item, and she thinks that seven is more likely to describe who I am. After getting over my anger with her for suggesting such a thing, I think that she might be right about it. There's a lot of things that can get in the way of us being compassionate people. This morning, we're going to talk about three of them. Three barriers to compassion. The first barrier to compassion is overload or compassion fatigue. This is a gradual decrease in compassion over time, typically as a result of exposure to traumatic stories or events. Now, for some of us, this is kind of a coping mechanism because if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, 
if you see blood or someone in pain, you can't freak out. You can't, like, fall to pieces. You need to continue doing your stuff. If you are a funeral home director, you can't, like, start weeping every single time you face death. You need to do your job. That's not primarily what I'm talking about. That's kind of a, a professional distance, and, and that's, that's one thing. But what I'm talking about when I talk about compassion fatigue, I'm referring to what happens as um, we go about our lives and we encounter stories of tragedy from around the world, an earthquake, a tsunami, a plane crash, a mudslide, a kidnapping, a famine, a hurricane, an Ebola outbreak, a civil war, a flood, displaced refugees, starving children, mass shootings, a bombing. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the tragedy in our world and to respond by becoming numb or feeling paralyzed with fear. So what do we do? How do we avoid the two extremes? On the, one, on the one hand, being over here, like, I'm not seeing anything, I'm not hearing anything, la, 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 the world is just fine. And the other extreme over here, where you're hunkering down in your bunker, watching news 24-7, waiting for the apocalypse to occur. I think that there's something healthier than either of these two extremes. This is what I would suggest that it could look like for you. So... Rather than allowing all the news, all the time, to have unfettered access to you, instead, what would it be like if we took this approach? What would it be like if we said, okay, I'm going to watch the news, and we watched the news for half an hour, or we went online and accessed the news, read about it for half an hour, and then after that, we turned it off, okay? We turn off the news. And then we take what we've just heard, all the tragedies, all the garbage that's happened in the world, and we took it to God, and we lifted up all of these things to God, and then symbolically we released it to him. What would it be like if we then said, God, there's a lot of tough stuff in this world. How do you want me to respond to it? And then we were to receive that from him. I'm still learning how to do this. Let me tell you about one time when I, I feel like I, I got a little closer to it. The date was November 13th. I was subbing in an Anchorage school, and I got a call from Liz at the end of the day, and she said, Brent, some horrible stuff has happened in Paris. So I'm driving home. I turn on the news. I hear about all the horrible stuff that happened that day, all the atrocities that took place. And I realized about 10 minutes into it that this event was still unfolding, and likely, we weren't going to really hear a lot of new information. What we would hear is repetition of the same things over and over again and a lot of uh, speculation about things, but we wouldn't really hear anything new. And after I realized we were at that point, I turned it off. In the car as I'm driving, eyes open, I, I prayed to God. I said, God, I want to lift up to you all of these things that happened. And I, I prayed for the people in Paris. And then I even prayed for those that committed these atrocities, that, that God would bring a stop to them, or even better yet, that they would realize the error, the lies that they are believing, and that they would turn around and stop doing that. I lifted it up to God, and, and I said, God, you take this. This is bigger than me. And then I said, I'm, I'm here. Paris is far away. Is there anything, Lord, any way that you want me to respond and this is what I sensed him saying to me. Brent, you work in the schools. 
with a lot of English language learners, people from all around the world, people from kids from countries that are not exactly friendly to people like you. And many of these kids, they know that you're a Christian. How? Because as I'm talking with these kids, teaching them English, I ask them about their, what they're going to do for the weekend. I ask them, what are you going to be doing for winter break? And they tell me about their different cultures, their traditions, and so forth. And then they ask me, what are you going to be doing? So I simply tell them about my life when it's applicable. So Brent, there is a group of kids in these schools that know you are a Christian. What I want you to do is I want you to let them know that somebody who follows me cares for them. Somebody who follows me wants them to succeed in life. That's it. So that's what I've been trying to do. So as you're facing the news, I would encourage you, be willing to turn it off at some point. Bring it to your father. Lift up all the stuff to him. Release it to him. And then ask him, Father, how do you want me to respond? Second barrier to compassion is unforgiveness. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he used a, a model or a template prayer. Some of us know this prayer as uh, the Lord's Prayer. Other of us may have grown up hearing it as the Our Father. In it, Jesus used the following phrase, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let me tell you, that's a pretty bold prayer. Basically, it's saying, God, in the same way that when someone wrongs me, the same way that when they sin against me, the same way that I extend forgiveness to them, God, that's the standard that I want you to use when you are forgiving me. I don't know about you, but I've got some room to grow before I can pray that prayer with a high level of authenticity. Unforgiveness has significant health consequences. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness, and bitterness is kind of like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to get sick. A number of doctors have done research on unforgiveness, and what they've found is that living with unforgiveness in anger and resentment has about the same negative health consequences as smoking has on our bodies. Lots of books have been written on the topic of forgiveness. We're not going to cover it all, but I hope that today we can take one or two steps away from unforgiveness and toward being the compassionate people that God calls us to be. Pastor Rob Reamer wrote an article called Forgiveness, the Father Can Change Your Heart. And I want to read an excerpt from it because I think he summarizes some key ideas relating to forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision to release someone from our debt. We don't need someone else to own their part or to say they are sorry. We can forgive them unilaterally, one-sidedly. This is actually a gift to us. If we depended on someone else's repentance before we offered forgiveness, we would always be bound by someone else's will. But we can forgive even if someone is unrepentant, is no longer part of our lives, or has even died. We must be willing to forgive those who have hurt us. 
However, there is a difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is a gift that is granted by the offended party. It is never deserved or earned. Trust, however, is earned. Trust is earned when an offender repents and turns away from his or her sin. And while forgiveness is a unilateral act, reconciliation is bilateral. It takes two. For reconciliation to take place, I must own my part, you must own your part, we both must repent, and we both must forgive. The story is told of two former prisoners of war, and they're having a conversation with each other. And the one says to the other, have you forgiven your captors yet? The other one says, no, no way, never. The first one replies, well then, they still have you in prison, don't they? We don't forgive and forget. That's a phrase we hear a lot, and I'd like to challenge you. That's not how things work. We don't forgive and forget. However, we can forgive and let go. We can forgive and let go of the bitterness that poisons not just the relationship of the person that we're bitter with, but bitterness poisons every one of our relationships. We can forgive and let go of the chains that hold us captive, forgive and let go of the the, the self-fulfilling prophecies that limit us. When we forgive, we free our hearts from bitterness that keeps us from being compassionate people. Now, I realize that for some of you, forgiveness is a big issue, and for good reason. Some of you have had awful things done to you. If you feel like you want to forgive, you sense God leading you that you need to forgive, but you're feeling stuck, I would encourage you with a couple of things. One, check out CR. Two, I'd encourage you, come talk with me afterwards. I've got a, a copy of an article that I'd love to put in your hands and a book recommendation for you. Don't stay in unforgiveness. It's not a healthy place to be. The third barrier to compassion is bad perspective and a hard heart. We think everything is about us and our rights. Those are my cookie swirls. Let me ask you this. Which of these characters is more like you? Let me ask another question. Which of these characters do you aspire to be more like? Let's look at what that involves. One of these characters is sure of their rights and asserts these rights at every turn. The other one of these characters is willing to have their rights violated a little bit, is willing to extend compassion even when that compassion is not deserved, even when that compassion is not appreciated. Philippians 2, 1 to 8 in the message says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. 
agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. Became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. When we look at what God has done for us, especially through the person of Jesus, it gives us perspective with others. We become like those we hang around, yeah? One summer, I worked with a guy who had a horrible temper. Guess what? By the end of the summer, I was having issues with my temper. On another occasion, my wife and I were traveling through Europe, and we were around a lot of people who spoke English, but they didn't speak English like you and I speak English. They spoke English like someone speaks English if it's their second or maybe third or fourth or fifth language. They speak it a little simpler. And we found ourselves starting to speak like that a little bit as we're talking with each other and with these people. Well, during this time, I had a job interview on the phone with a company back in the United States, okay? So I'm there in Europe around all these people. I'm on the phone with this company in the States, and uh, they're asking me questions, and I'm answering questions like, I am a good worker. Uh, I, I work hard. I make companies strong. Where's this coming from? I speak English. They were kind. They humored me. But I didn't get the job, obviously. Let me tell you, we become like those that we hang around. So if we're hanging around with Jesus, we're going to become more like Jesus. So what's that look like? So as we're reading God's word, as we're going to life group, as we're coming to church, as we're serving people, as we're asking God to make us more like him, he will do this. As we wrap up, I want to give a couple of tools that we can use to help us become compassionate people. The first one, something I call prayer mapping, okay? If you're having struggles with someone, you don't really know how to relate to them, they annoy the heck out of you, but you sense God calling you to respond in a different way, try this on. So let's say I'm having struggles with Bob. Okay, Bob, I work with him, he just annoys me. Well, here's what you do. Write, write Bob in the middle of a paper, circle it, and then put some spokes going out and write at the end of those spokes, family, friends, uh, job, health, uh, hobbies, whatever, different spheres of his life. And then around each of these things, Write the things that you know. Okay, so I know Bob's family. He mentioned that he's estranged from his father. He hasn't spoken with him in like two years. I know right now he, he's got two daughters, and one of them hates him, won't even talk with him. 
marriage, oh, man, he's going through a messy divorce. There's custody issues, all kinds of stuff. Job, he just got passed over for a promotion, and really, he's been with the company a long time. I think he would have been a pretty good candidate for it, even though I maybe don't like the guy so much. Uh, he feels like he's, there's a glass ceiling. Um, health, he's got like high blood pressure. He's got all kinds of medical stuff. He's on all these meds and stuff. As we start doing this, we walk in his shoes, and we have a little bit of compassion. And as we pray for the person, God really does a work of transforming our hearts and giving us compassion. A second tool to develop compassion. This is a phrase that I would encourage you to use. Use this phrase if someone does something wrong to you, rather than lashing out at them, try this on. This person is wounded and just trying to survive. Okay? Something happened in this person's life. I don't know what, but something happened to make him think that it's okay to treat another human being this way. And I should have compassion for him. This person is wounded and just trying to survive. Another tool to develop compassion, start at home. Okay? I don't know if this is true for you, but my family often gets the worst of who I am. Is, is that, is, am I alone in that, or does anyone, can anyone else say, yeah, I treat my family in ways I would never treat other people? Yeah? Okay. So, 1 Timothy chapter 5 tells us that we're supposed to start at home, even if it's the hardest place to start. That's the place to start. Another tool to develop compassion, consider giving to Compassion and Mercy Associates. This is our denomination's relief and development, development arm. Their goal is to extend the hands and feet of Jesus to a hurting world. They, they do things like digging wells. They have disaster relief. They offer medical help. They're in a lot of places like on the front lines of where things are really bad. Another thing that you can do to develop compassion, consider sponsoring a child through an organization like Compassion International. Let me tell you, when Nakuzi from Rwanda writes you, thanking you for the $20 you gave her for Christmas, and she says to you that she used the money to buy a goat so that her family can have milk, it's pretty hard not to have compassion, isn't it? Another way to develop compassion, if you see a need, be willing to be the first person to help. Oftentimes, the bystander effect, bystander apathy, rapidly turns into bystanders helping after the first person jumps in. Some years ago, my wife and I were eating at a restaurant in New York, and we were uh, sitting there eating, and we saw this woman run out of the restaurant, followed by this man who was kicking her, yelling at her, being abusive toward her. I knew something had to be done. I got up and walked out to the parking lot, and before I knew it, there were probably half a dozen other people who joined me in basically forming a semicircle around this man. He knew he was not going to continue abusing this person. Okay. As far as I know, the story ended with someone calling the police. They came and apprehended him, and at least for the time being, put an end to what he was doing. Be willing to be the first person to help. Another way to develop compassion Go on a missions trip. If you've never gone to another part of the country, another part of the world, I'd encourage you to do it. 
on a regular basis, just about every year, our church takes one or more trips to another part of the world. Our desire is to be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who maybe don't have access to the things that we have access to, maybe haven't had opportunities to hear the great news of Jesus. If you go, I can almost guarantee you that God will do more to change your heart, perhaps, than he does in changing the lives of those around you. It makes a big difference. And last, ask God to make your heart more like his heart. There's a prayer that we can pray. Lord, may the things that break your heart break my heart. I dare you to pray this. You'll start seeing things in a different way. You'll start acting toward people in a different way. So as we wrap things up this morning, I'd like you to take out a pen and to write down a personal action step. Something that you sense God leading you to do this week. Something he's laying on your heart, okay? It could be maybe one of any number of things. It might be, ah, I need to read the Gospel of Mark. Or it might be, I need to sponsor a child. I need to look into to, uh, going on a missions trip. I need to not ignore this situation that I see. I need, to, I need to start praying for this person. Whatever it is, just take a minute now and write down a personal action step. Make it something that is very personal to you, something that you sense God leading you to do. Join me in prayer. Father, we can't manufacture compassion on our own. It doesn't come out of our own hearts. Our hearts are evil. Compassion comes from a transformation of heart that Jesus does in our lives. Lord, we need you to change our hearts so that we become more like him. Father, would you remind us of what you have done for us, how you have loved us, how you have extended compassion to us. Would you help us to become more like Jesus? Lord, through your Holy Spirit, would you prompt us to recall how you have forgiven us? And would you allow us to extend the same forgiveness to other people? Lord, please help us to be more like Jesus in every way. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.